You are live with Get Connected. I'm Mike Agarbo here with Gray Williams today, and we are Canada's number one technology radio show. And we've got a really cool program, so you're going to have to stick around. Radar cameras, you know, speed traps, and these uh, traffic light cameras. Well, the UK is testing out a new type of AI camera that can look right in your car as you're going by to see if you're wearing your seatbelt or if you're on your mobile phone. Scared, Gray? No, no, I like it. Well, we're going to dive into that, and you're going to be blown away by how many people they caught in 72 hours. It's insane. We'll also be talking about the Internet Archive, and Sony and music publishers, they're going after the Internet Archive. If you haven't had a chance to check out uh, the Archive uh It is super cool. They've got a Wayback Machine, so you can check on websites what they looked like 20 years ago or even find ones that don't exist anymore. They've also got old PC games and arcade games. They've got old e-books, texts, everything. And they're trying to make a collection of old 78s, but the music publishers don't like that. And they're suing them for $400 million. A non-profit. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well done, Sony. Yeah, I don't... It's just... Yeah, it's crazy. And the University of Alberta research team is studying technology to help with cattle farming. It's some really cool stuff. And it's uh, it's Canadian. So you're going to have to stay tuned for that uh, as well. So great. Let's get into some of the uh, the tech news as we always do at the, the top of uh, the hour here on Get Connected. When you buy a new car... I guess the big new thing for car manufacturers is trying to get you not only for that car payment, but now subscriptions. Ford has announced that uh, they have their Blue Cruise hands-free subscription cost. So this is rolling out in their Mustang EV and and a bunch of uh, others like their Ford F-150 Lightning and also uh, their Ford regular Ford F-150 and Ford Expeditions. And so this is kind of like a um, a semi-autonomous driving. This is a driver assist feature, like a level two one. So yeah. it'll help keep you in the lane. It'll change lanes for you, keep your speed. How much would you pay for that? That's a pretty decent feature. A couple hundred bucks at least. A year, a month? Oh, a year. Like, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking maybe like 30, 30, 40 bucks a month max. No. No. So it's $800 a year if you buy the year. And if you want to go monthly, and keep in mind, we're talking U.S. pricing here. It's 75 bucks a month, which would be about 100 bucks Canadian a month. That's a lot. Okay. So the, the hardware comes in the car, and yeah. you're just activating it with software. Yeah. I hate this. So in the past, they would just put that Blue Cruise technology in you know certain vehicles, if you yeah. wanted it and paid for it. But now I think they're going to be putting it in all their cars in the hope that you'll sign up for the subscription. I hate this. With the fire of a thousand suns. I hate it. Well, Tesla's, <sighs> keep in mind, Tesla, their their full self-driving is better, from my understanding, than this Blue Cruise. It's it's 200 bucks US a month subscription for that. I... You know, I, I often say I love living in the future. Right now, I hate living in the future. This is, yeah, this, this, this rubs me the wrong way. 
the fact that like the hardware is there and I can't access it. I don't like that. And now here's the, the thing. If somebody came up with a, with an open source version that I could buy for, I'd be all over that. Well, it's interesting. Hackers uh, have found a way with Teslas to unlock it. That I like. Well, you can't tell me Tesla's not going to figure out how to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the that. great reasons you have, they have a modem in the car, right? Yeah. You know, as you firmware updates over the air. I, just, I remember my very first car. You know, it was an Eagle Summit. Yeah. Tiny little two-door thing, 93 foot-pounds of torque. I don't think there was a computer chip in that goddamn car anywhere. Maybe in the tires. Okay, let's let's move on to the next story. This is kind of interesting. You and I, we're, we're both into smart home technology. Yeah. I've got a smart home lock. I've got a ring camera doorbell and i love them like they're fantastic well uh the world's first smart door has landed at home depot i guess it's down in the u.s and so this is a a masonite m power door it's got a built-in ring video doorbell and a yale smart lock plus motion activated led lights and a door sensor and and it's all kind of powered you got to get an electrician to set this up. It's all powered by your home's electrical system, so there's no batteries you have to worry about. Yeah. But there is a battery backup in case things things go down, and it'll keep the door going for 24 hours in the event of a power loss. Nice. There was a there's a smart lock that I had at one point that you could uh, just take a nine volt and and connect it, just push it against the the lock, and it would give it enough, enough power to to open. Uh, how much is this thing? How much would you pay for a smart door, Gray? Okay, so we've got the ring camera in there, right? Yeah. What else do we have? We had the Yale Smart uh, Lock. Okay, so so we're looking probably we're now at around three four hundred dollars. Just right? for so for, for those, yeah. Okay, there's also the LED smart lighting in it. That's probably another hundred bucks. Okay. Yep. It's got a battery backup. Let's call that another. Let's say another hundred dollars in there. So we're at seven hundred dollars. Yeah, and then there's the yeah. door. The door, and how much does the door cost usually? I'm not a door expert, but... I haven't had to buy many doors in my time. I've, I've never purchased a door. I've lived an incomplete life, clearly. Uh, so let's say uh, 1000 bucks. Yep. Okay, so this, this Empower door, it's a fiberglass door. Yep. $4,000 for the basic model, and it goes up to 7000 for higher-end versions. Did I miss the espresso machine that comes with this, or is that... No, no, that's... No, you don't get that. Huh. There's no robot that comes with it. That's huh. it's four thousand dollars for a smart door. So instead, of, instead I love it. Great, great. I love technology, but that's that's a little crazy. You could get a beautiful door and just buy the Ring camera, video doorbell, and the Yale lock separately, and you're ahead of the game. I've, I, what I would like to do though is I'd like to take any glass portions out, replace them. So it's a masonite. There's mason jars because then your door is also a jar. <sighs> So you know you're not going to buy the smart door. You know, no, I'm not. Well, first of all, I'm like I'm renting right now, and I yeah. have a SwitchBot lock, which uh, if you have a HomeBridge or you have the, their new Hub Hub Two works with HomeKit. Yep, it's great because you don't have to replace the lock; it just fits over top of it. Oh, and it works. Yeah, I love that thing. It's fantastic. There's no downtime. Ninety nine dollars for this thing. You can get a keypad for the outside. No, that's and, and as a as a renter, I get to take it when I go. Very interesting. Uh, so Amazon, 
Do you read the reviews when you're looking for products? Constantly. Yeah. I mean, it's handy, right? Yeah. So they have a new feature using generative AI that is now going to summarize customer reviews. Well, this, this, this is starting off in the U.S. Uh, on mobile devices. But what it's going to do, the AI is going to condense all the customer reviews, all of them, into one, just one, digestible paragraph. Amazing. You know, that, that's helpful because there's at least one review somewhere in the middle that's either for the wrong product or somebody just didn't know how to use the damn thing. And have that being included in the whole sort of overall really just is going to make this absolutely useless. Is it that hard to read these reviews? That's the thing. Like, I, I appreciate that, you know, that it's summarizing everything for me. But I still I still like reading the reviews. Do you know what I mean? Just to get the different contacts, yeah. you know, different people, you know, and their experiences. Yeah. I, I like reading the one-star reviews. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're always crazy, right? They've always done something wrong with it. Yeah. You can tell, but unless it's just a really crappy product and they're all one-star reviews. But generally, when you go down to the one-star reviews, it's the crackpots. Yeah, and then they'll be damned if it's their fault. Or it's a, it's a customer service issue. Like nine times out of 10, they it was broken or they didn't get their money back and kind of funny, eh? Yeah. But, you know, it, it's tough. The reviews are so important in these e-commerce sites. You know, we talked about this in previous shows that Amazon and, and you know, others, especially Amazon, it's one of the biggest e-commerce players out there, really trying to crack down on fake reviews. Yeah. It's, so um, we were talking about our, our extra projector. I was trying to buy a projector during um, Prime Day. And the number of, of products that had F ratings from fake spot, so there were tons of fake reviews in those products, was off the charts like sorry f spot uh fake spot it's fake spot and so yeah and so your 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 brand names like your epsons they all had a plus reviews which is basically it's judging it looking look it's looking to see you know is this a review farm is this ai writing it um but your your lesser known brands that you know it's like 139 bucks for what appears to be the best projector on the planet <laughs> it's it's clearly not yeah and so the reviews have been ginned up that kind of sucks, eh? Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to take a break here on uh, Get Connected. When we come back, we've uh, seen speed cameras, radar speed cameras. We've seen the traffic light ones. But what about the ones using AI that can peer right into your car and catch you if you're using your, your cell phone or not wearing your seatbelt? Where is this happening? Well, you're going to have to stay tuned to find out. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Gray Williams. I know in many parts of uh, the country, there are different types of cameras being used uh, for law enforcement. Uh, These would be radar speed cameras. Uh, In British Columbia, they had them for a few years. Uh, I think one of the governments came in. I think it was the liberal government and did away with them. Uh, I think that was a very popular election platform for them at the time. But I know that they are being used in uh, other provinces still. Uh, in BC, we do have traffic light cameras. So if you run uh, a red light in certain intersections, you get a fine. And they're expensive, these fines, Gray. Like, it starts yeah. getting into the hundreds of dollars. Well, over in the UK, they're testing out some uh, new AI camera systems uh, and this is in Cornwall, or Launceston, Cornwall. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. And 
within the space of three days, three days, they caught almost 300 drivers breaking the law. Nice. So these are using cameras with high shutter speeds, infrared flashes, and a lensing and filtering system to record clear images of passing vehicles. These uh, photos are then reviewed by software using artificial intelligence, and it tries to identify those people in there that are likely breaking the law and uh, evidence of an offense committed. And this would be using a mobile phone or not having your seatbelt on. Which are two insane things to get caught doing. Like, really, in this day and age, you're not wearing your seatbelt? So, okay, so out of the 300 uh, people that they caught, 117 of them were mobile phone offenses. 180 were seatbelt offenses. I thought I don't get that. I thought it'd be like 90% mobile phones. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? People using it while driving. Like, I just thought more people would be wearing seatbelts. I wonder, is there a crossover? Like, are the, how many of these were actually the same person? You know, somebody <laughs> using their mobile phone while not wearing... Because I, I figure if you're, if you're dumb, and you're dumb if you're using your phone while you're driving, and you're dumb if you're not wearing a seatbelt. But how do you feel? But how do you feel about it? Do you want right? Like, do you? I I'm glad they did away with the speed cameras because yeah, I got too many tickets. <laughs> so selfishly, so. yes. Should I be speeding? No, but I just couldn't afford all the tickets. Well, so this is the thing. Like we've got variable speed corridors here in BC, right? We're up to 120 kilometers per hour. Um, uh, Toronto and uh, and uh, in Ontario, there is the uh, the 401, which is um, a variable speed corridor that I think goes up to 150, 160 kilometers an hour, uh, assuming the police are not around. I think they they crush your car now if they catch you doing that. Um, but seatbelts, like like our roads are well designed. You know, drive for the weather. But our roads are well designed. You can go in excess of the speed limit, and you're probably not going to be doing something dangerous, assuming you're a decent driver. You're on your phone. It's like it's a crapshoot. You've taken yourself out of the game, and you're now just in an unguided missile. And if, if you're not strapped into that unguided missile, it's over for you if you get in an accident. I just, yeah. You know, I, I, I laud the police in Cornwall for this. These are the right types of offenses that you want to stop people from doing. Okay. Oh, okay. Eh, whatever. I yeah. I don't know if I'm loving it to be honest because I. Yeah. yeah I don't know. It's just a, another way for the government to grab more money from us. Yes, I know it's in the name of safety, and I people will find ways around it. So, for example, the the traffic light cameras, Gray. Yes. I know. I know where they are now. Yes. So, <laughs> so I guess they kind of work. For me, I was gonna say you, I, you, you adjusted I, your driving. I did, yeah, I guess, I guess. So, and and I'll adjust my driving, but I guess I wear my seatbelt and stuff, and I I try not to use my mobile phone when driving. But yeah. uh, but were you were you surprised with the sheer amount of drivers they caught in three days, like three hundred yes. drivers? Is that a yes. surprise to you yeah. or not? It, it is. Like cause I, cause I I don't see that many people using their their mobile phones anymore. So one hundred seventeen. That's a fair amount. I mean, I'd like to know the actual amount of traffic through the area, but um, the seatbelt one. I remember. I remember as, as a kid seeing the OPP on an on ramp checking people for seatbelts, and it was a thing back then in the eighties. People didn't wear their seatbelts, but we got over the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I, I guess that was the biggest surprise. So, like, the majority of 
of the infractions were seatbelt, which, uh, but maybe, I don't, maybe it's different over in the UK. I don't know. Yeah, they click on the other side. I, I like it, How long does it take? Volvo actually like released a patent for this so we could all be safer and people are not using them. I don't know. I don't like anyway. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that technology spreads. And yeah, I can't, I, and I, I can't see why it won't. <laughs> Do you know what I, I mean? So, so here's, here's the thing. What I, what I don't want to see is I don't want to see this technology used to then extrapolate additional types of charges, right? You're good checking on these ones. Everything else, shut that off, right? There's just should be a reasonable expectation of privacy in your vehicle. If you're well, that's the thing. That's the thing. The that's the thing, right? Because they're looking right in your car. Yeah, yeah. And, and if AI is doing it, it's only been told to look at this thing. Then you have what if what a if I want to be decent system? What if I want to be naked in my car, Gray? Uh I mean, well, you can't get tints on the front windows anymore, so I, I would say probably not. Go with a thong. It's breezy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we still we still have a lot on today's program. Uh, we are going to be talking uh, with Carmi Levy, one of our uh, contributors out of Toronto, about Sony and some music publishers going after the Internet Archive. Have you used the Internet Archive, Gray? I do, I do. Yep. Well, yep. So, Sony's going after them because uh, the Internet Archive is trying to preserve the old 78 records. Right. Kids won't know of what course. we're talking. The kids won't know what we're talking about. But, RPM children. But anyway, no, they're suing them for four hundred million dollars. It's insane. What? Yeah. Oh, Sony. I Just know. When I thought I was out. They pulled me back in. You, okay, so the music on those old seventy eights. Do you think they'd ever even make four hundred million dollars? No. no. Yeah, that's the thing. And we're also going to be talking about uh, cattle technology, Gray. Okay. So you're gonna have to stay tuned for that. Because I know you've been dreaming of how can I take technology with cattle and bring that together. That's my major beef. I like what you did there. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Don't forget to enter our awesome contest, giving away an Epson EcoTank printer and a beautiful little Epson Smart printer or Smart projector uh, as well. Great for any home or dorm room. GetConnectedMedia.com is the website address where you can find out uh, more information on how to enter and uh, the secret word. Stick around uh, and we'll tell you what that word is. It'll get you extra entries to up your chances to win. Good Carmi Levy with us uh, to talk about uh, an interesting story that's developing. Thanks for joining us, Carmi. Great to be here with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, the Internet Archive, it's something that we've talked about on the show before, but maybe you can give the listeners a, a quick reader's digest of what it's all about. Internet Archive regularly, and you find that at archive.org, it regularly scans the internet and it takes snapshots of web pages, kind of as a way of uh, holding on to the history of the internet, uh, recognizing that you know you can have a website up and then you go and you change it, you lose what it was like beforehand. And they want to be able to kind of snapshot the internet experience at various times in its history. Uh, and that's kind of, it's important because technology, that sector generally doesn't do a really good job of holding on to its history. The Internet Archive is an important part of that. Uh, and of course, it isn't just websites. They've got this project. They call it the Great 78 Project. They want to preserve not just web content, but musical content. And so they've been going online and they're they're grabbing recordings that were made before 1972, uh, 78 meaning the 78 RPM rec record 
you know, artists like Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, Miles Davis, Louis Armstrong, real classics. Uh, and they're saying they want to snapshot them, record them, because they worry that they're going to be lost, which sounds very close to its nonprofit mission. But of course, uh, Sony Music Entertainment, Universal Music Group, uh, and a number of other music labels are saying, mm, we own the copyright to that content. Uh, you shouldn't be doing that. They have filed a lawsuit against them, basically saying, you're stealing our content. Stop right now. So it sort of begs the question, do we want to preserve the internet? or And, and how do we do that while still maintaining the rights of copyright owners decades after the individuals who even recorded that content have passed on? I guess the thought is that... Um once they post this stuff up in the internet archive, then anyone can just download and listen for free kind of thing, right? Yeah, that is the fear is that, you know, there's still money to be made from, you know, a Billie Holiday a Christmas album, for example. You know, you and how often does this happen where uh, record labels will take old music and they'll kind of remix it, put it back together, put it in a new collection and then reissue it. Uh, and Sony and Universal Music Group and others still want to have the rights to do that. They own the copyright to this content as this as the, the, the requisite studios, as the you know, they, essentially they're saying you know, they're having the, the legs cut out from under them who would buy this content if it's available for free on the uh, on the Internet Archive. Uh, and, and I think it's a reasonable question, right, is this is not something that is out in the public domain. This is not something subject to what we call Creative Commons licensing. It isn't something that you can just go grab. Uh, yet there are so many individuals out there who just think, well, I found it on Google. I can just access it because it's online. Well, just because something is online does not mean that uh, you can have access to it for free or use it in your own projects. There are commercial implications to all forms of content up to and including really old recordings by some of the, you know, the best songwriters in the business. This isn't the first time that the Internet Archive has had some legal woes, is it? No, they've uh, they, they've been uh, targeted by book publishers in the past um, for what they called willful mass copyright infringement. Uh, and in fact, a federal judge uh, ruled against the Internet Archive in that case, uh, which could, of course, set a precedent for this case, because content is content is content. Whether you're talking about books, whether you're talking about records, whether you're talking about uh, movies and videos and things like that, it's all the same. Somebody created it. Somebody owns it. Somebody has a right to not have it ripped off from underneath the, their noses. Uh, and so what's interesting is that that original case with the, with the, uh, the booksellers, uh, that is now under appeal. So the organization is saying they, are, they will be appealing that decision, which throws into question what happens with this music case, uh, because the precedent on which the music case is being based is now still up for, for, for grabs in the court system. So could be a while before we get an answer on this, but it's interesting to see different industries starting to take it on and saying, hey, we need to assert our rights. Otherwise, the Internet will continue to be a free for all. And if you own content or if you created it, if you have the copyright to it, you essentially have no protection. They want to put a stop to that. It's kind of a, an, an interesting story. You know, this is a lot of old music. I wonder if there was some sort of thing they could have worked out with the Internet Archive. Do you know what I mean? Is there like, are, are there millions of people looking for old 78s? And if so, uh, and they stumble across this in the Internet Archive, couldn't, um, you know, they link also to Sony to purchase the, uh, the vinyl? You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because 
I, this takes me right back to you know the early aughts, and this was you know when uh, when you know rampant peer-to-peer file sharing was the order of the day, and the record industry, the Recording Industry Association of America (RIA), uh, was lamenting the fact that music sales were in freefall because everybody could download everything for free. Uh, and then along came a little something called you know iTunes, and that of course convinced us all that we should be able to pay for it, and it essentially saved the music industry. So I think, you know, from looking forward, I think this provides an opportunity for all the players to gather around and say, okay, you know, there's a bit of a gap here between those who own content and those who want to preserve it, carry it forward, find new value added ways to share it online. Uh, Maybe they could gather around the table and come up with something that everyone can agree to. Uh, The problem here is that this is a case that could potentially result in the Internet Archive uh, paying upwards of $372 million if every single case goes against them, um, which is a huge hit for a not-for-profit. And so you would think that if you are a not-for-profit, that you would probably want to find a commercial opportunity uh, instead of simply dragging it through the courts for years. And so I think now that we're seeing more than one case being tried against them, I think they may be a little bit more willing to negotiate. And I think we will probably see a deal over the next few years uh, because at, you know this content does need to be preserved in some way. But at the same time, these record companies, they paid for the rights at some point. They deserve to run a business based on them. How do you think it's going to go? I think uh, the Internet Archive will probably get some kind of services revenue from this, uh, or they will pay a licensing fee in order to link to it. In much the same way that we're seeing the Online News Act requiring those who link to content to pay in um, and pay those who created it in the first place. In other words, if you've built a business and you're deriving value from someone else's content, there should be a bit of quid pro quo. There should be a bit of payback. And I think that's what will ultimately happen here. Everybody will realize that it's in everyone's best interest to settle. Uh, For example, if I'm looking for some old content from Frank Sinatra, uh, it would be cool if there were a legal way for me to do that through the Internet Archive, since I already use the Internet Archive for these kinds of searches, and I know I'm not the only one. I actually had Brewster Kale, one of the, found, the the actual founder of the Internet Archive, uh, on the show back a few years ago. Fascinating guy, and I just love the mission of what they're trying to do. You know, we're talking about music and books, but um, there's everything up there. It's like software as well, old PC games, old arcade games, and what have you. It is, and you know, it it reminds me almost of the function of a library. What what role does a library play in ensuring that intellectual property uh, and the story of the society continue to be told, continue to be accessible to a wide audience? Uh, And so libraries long ago figured out how they access content. They pay for it. Uh, And they do have deals with publishers uh, and, and, you know, music libraries and things like that. So, you know, if, if libraries could figure that out in an analog world, I'd like to think that the internet internet archive can probably figure that out in a digital world as well it is a notable mission i think it's an important one um, because technology as it rushes ahead we often forget what came before it Uh, and i love nothing more than to kind of go through the internet archive and look for things from a few years ago just to see how far we've come see what they were like in their earliest versions you learn a lot about you know how to write how to create content in the digital era by exploring the Internet Archive and kind of seeing how things have evolved over the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Commercial Internet's been around since the mid-90s. We owe it to ourselves to look back 
it's an incredibly important mission that it fulfills. I would hate to think that it couldn't figure a way to navigate this current challenge because the last thing I'd want is for uh, the music industry to essentially shut this entity down, which already performs such an important role for most of us. I think so. And again, I think the listeners have to realize this is a complete nonprofit. They operate uh, on donations. So, mm-hmm. you know, Sony and the publishers suing them for $400 million, they don't have $400 million. I wonder what Frank Sinatra would think about all of this. Yeah, you know, it's funny considering who these artists are. I mean, they, they you know, they, they weren't just giants of the mu- music industry. They were, you know, pretty you know, righteous human beings as well. I'd like to think that they'd prop they they'd want their content to be shared by subsequent generations. They would want it to be open and out there. They, I think, they respect the history of what they've created, uh, and they would want as many entities to come together to to carry on that mission as possible. And I think that's the. You know, what is in everyone's best interest? The last thing I would want is for any one entity to kind of gatekeep this content and keep it from a future generation. Of course, they should be compensated for it. Of course, there should be fairness in business. But, you know, there are rights of the public and rights of the individual and the copyright holder. I think everyone's rights could be respected if we agreed to something. But something has to happen. Otherwise, we risk losing it. Talking with Carmi Levy all about the Internet Archive. This is a fantastic website, listeners. If you haven't uh, checked this out, it's uh, at archive.org. Very simple uh, address uh, to check out. Uh, and it's really amazing. They've got all sorts of ebooks and movies, uh, books, uh, music, maybe or maybe not, <laughs> depending how things go, and the Wayback Machine. This is so cool. You can actually type in an old uh, web address and uh, go back in time and uh, see what it looked like back in you know the 90s or 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 what have you so uh it's it's kind of cool like i um you know i used to uh work for chalk.com and uh you know i can go back and actually check all the different incarnations of that website you know back you know almost 20 years ago if not further so it's uh it's kind of a cool tool and i i hope they can continue with this uh, mission carmy i'm going to get you to hang on the line i want to talk to you about uh, another tech story that involves cattle, believe it or not. And uh, we'll tell you the secret word for the contest when we come back from the break. If you're listening to Get Connected here on the Course Radio Network, we'll be back shortly after this. You are back with Get Connected. Don't forget to enter our contest at getconnectedmedia.com. Epson uh, has given us a couple cool prizes, uh, an EcoTank ET2800, SuperTank inkjet printer. This thing is amazing. And also a smart projector. It's a little cube. You can watch all your favorite streaming services like Netflix, Disney+. Plus. If you want uh, some extra chances to win, the secret word this week is Android. Go to the website, getconnectedmedia.com to get more information. Uh, We've got Carmi Levy with us. Thanks for uh, sticking around here for uh, our last segment. Oh, just great to be here, Mike. Thanks. Um, I can't believe I'm talking about cattle on a tech show, but here we are. Uh, The University of Alberta research team is studying technology that can corral cattle with the touch of an iPhone. Basically, I guess, creating virtual fencing. Did I get that right? Yeah, you absolutely did. It's almost like a a much larger scale, higher tech version of the, the electronic fencing that so many people install in their houses to keep their dogs from roaming the neighborhood. Uh, but this has a lot more implications. You know, we think of farms and ranches as very low-tech operations, but in fact, they, they use a lot of technology to gain a competitive advantage, keep costs in check. And as it turns out, when you try to move cows from one part of a 
field to another, it's really expensive because it's really labor intensive. You got to have people to do it. They have to be riding equipment, consuming fuel all the time and time uh, and you, know, you don't always have time if the weather is moving in or whatever so if you could use an app if you could use technology well that would certainly help so the University of Alberta they've come up with uh, research into virtual fencing which basically uses audio warnings and electric shocks to kind of move cattle in the direction where they need to go um, and so what they do is the cows wear these 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 sensors and so they're location aware the farmer knows exactly where the cow is and they train them to respond to audio cues and if the audio cue doesn't work then they move to the very light shocks to kind of move them in a particular direction you put all that together then the farmer can literally uh you know from an app on their phone they can actually say okay i want to move the herd from this part of the pasture to another part of the pasture and that allows them to rotate the land far better you don't have overgrazing in one area undergrazing in another it allows you to evenly use the land without consuming all this energy and resources it's it's an incredible way to have flexibility in how you leverage your your herd without consuming any more than you absolutely need need to and we know Costs are skyrocketing for everyone, especially our farmers and ranchers. And this could give them the competitive advantage we, you know, with research from the university, which basically is saying in our own backyard, we can leverage this and we can make a difference. I think that's incredibly inspiring. So the, the farmers wouldn't have to necessarily put in physical fences then, would they? No, they wouldn't. It's uh, it's basically it's it's a it's a collar that goes on the cow. It almost looks like a plastic cowbell. Uh, there are solar panels on the sides of this thing, so it's a solar <laughs> equipped cow. I know it sounds you know kind of weird, but it really works. Uh, once the cow knows, sort of you know, is used to it, you've trained them, and cows are very intelligent. Um, uh, it, all it needs is, is is that now of course you have to have sensors along the perimeter at various intervals to set up the 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 virtual boundaries so yeah there is some sort of physical infrastructure that needs to be installed but it isn't as much as you think it would be in other words you don't have to have this giant continuous fence it's a few sensors all of which speak to each other around the perimeter of the pasture so uh, it isn't as invasive as we think it would be and it's fairly inexpensive to set up um, and uh, and then of course once it's running it can save significant amount of operational revenue as well. So it costs a lot less to run and the payback period on this, I imagine would be fairly short, fairly short. The neat thing is, is, is the technology, it already, you can already buy the hardware through a company from Norway called No Fence. Um, so it already exists. It's just a matter of using it for this particular scenario. And the researchers at the U of A have already figured that out. And they're saying, we should be marketing this. We should be sort of creating this as a made in Canada solution for a made in Canada problem. I really like the concept, Carmi, and I, I, I'm going to relate it to my own um, experience. Uh, I, I have uh, three little yappy dogs at home, and uh, it's been it's been hard because they bark at everything. You know, if someone goes by on the street, even though they can't see them, I don't know how they know they're barking. <laughs> if the wind blows, they're barking. So I found these um, cool callers on Amazon, and they've got three levels. Like they have audio and then a vibration mode, and then there's like a little static shock thing. But I was blown away at how well just even the audio signal, like, um, you know, with the press of a button from my remote, really helped train the dogs to stop barking. And so I imagine this is kind of the same concept, but for cows. 
It absolutely is. And, you know, as the owner of a also a very yappy dog, she's a miniature schnauzer. And so that's exactly you've just described my dog to a T. Um, I'm always looking for solutions, you know, to sort of take advantage of the fact that these are very smart animals. They can be trained to respond to certain cues. And this is not a, you know, it, it starts with sound, works up through vibration, and then it ultimately results in a static shock if that doesn't, you know, if, if everything else fails. But this isn't like a massive shock. This is very light. All it is is a cue. Um, and, and the research shows very clearly that cows, like dogs, can be trained to respond to the cue and head in a particular direction. Um, and, the, and the nice thing is they've already got research that shows long term this does not have any negative implications on the health of the cows. In other words, they still produce, if it's a dairy cow, they'll still produce as much milk. Uh, if it is a, you know, a meat producing cow, they will still grow as we would expect them to grow. Uh, and they don't suffer any health issues, you know, out of the what we would normally expect. So you get all the benefits of have, being able to control where they go and when under what circumstances, all from an app, uh, but none of the drawbacks. And you're certainly not being cruel to them. In fact, this allows you to, to position them in a, in a kind of a safer, more consistent manner. It's a lot easier to manage a cab through this than it is to, you know, ride around them on a motorcycle through the pasture, <laughs> scaring the heck out of them with the engine. So, and I've seen that too, like five minutes from my house, you know, it's, it's an agricultural area with cows. I often just go visit them on bike rides. And when I see how they're controlled manually, I often ask myself, can there be a better way? I guess now we have an answer. I read the the biggest challenge they have, uh, the farmers have with this, is just internet access. Yeah, and that's a problem, right? Because we know the further away you get from an urban center in Canada, the harder it becomes to have consistent, reliable, high-speed, affordable internet connectivity. And already feedback from some of the ranchers who've participated in the U of A pilot study uh, zeroes in on that very clearly. We need better connectivity because I'd love to have this in my field, but there's no internet access. So, you know, it's a non-starter for a lot of people. So this is another reminder back to the federal government that as other countries, you know, get into gear on ensuring that everybody, no matter where they live within a country, has access to reliable and affordable high-speed internet access that Canada significantly lags other countries. And it's cases like this that reinforce where that gap is and where we need to fill it. This needs to change. Carmi, as always, thanks for joining us on the program. So great being here, Mike. Thank you. Tune into the App Show tomorrow. We've got a great program. We're going to be talking about getting chip implants under your skin so you can leave your keys at home. Would you do this? We'll also talk about YouTube uh, and what they're doing to combat false cancer claims on their platform. And a school in Iowa using ChatGPT to determine which books to, to ban. It's it's going to be a fun program. Don't forget to uh, enter our contest, www.getconnectedmedia.com. Win an Epson EcoTank printer or one of their cool smart projectors. Uh, this is Mike and Gray signing off. We'll see you again next time.